Hebrews chapter 5. We'll read verses uh, 11 through 14. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Thank you, team. Verse 11 of Hebrews 5 says, we have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Can you say amen? Well, Jesus, we ask for your help as we bring forth the word of the Lord in these next 35, 40 minutes. We pray that you would give us guidance, give us wisdom, pray that we're able to speak with clarity. We just trust that your anointing will will be upon us. And uh, Lord, not just for me, but Lord, we pray for every church in our city, every church in our region, San Luis and Somerton, Gadsden, Yuma, Welton. Lord God, we pray that men and women of God will approach the pulpit with a message from you, that they would speak life to those who are hearing, and that every church in our city, Lord God, would grow in an increase and the kingdom of God will be expanded. Pray specifically, Lord God, for Calvary Assembly there in Winter Haven, that you would be with them and the pastor and the church. We pray, Lord, for Pastor Rabonda and uh, CTC in South Africa, believing that they've had a great service. Same with Pastor Norman and CTC of India, trusting that their services was fantastic, believing that you'll be with Pastor David and his team this afternoon. And Lord, we're thankful that we have an opportunity to build a great church in a great city that we love. We ask this in Christ's name. May the people of God say amen. Amen. Now, we're going to go back to Hebrews for a few weeks and uh, just cut through some more verses for, for a period of time and, and then spend some time when we get closer to Easter and then come back to Hebrews for a little bit and do some stuff in the summer and then get back to Hebrews for a little bit. I'm thinking by 2020, I'll be through Hebrews. So, but just hang in there. You're, you're, you're learning some things. This, this book is, is amazing, right? Because it's the whole theme of the book is that Jesus is better. And the, and the purpose of the book is just clearly to present Jesus as the supreme being of, of all uh, living creatures and that he's worthy of worship and he's worthy of glory, he's worthy of honor, he's worthy of praise. He's the author and finish of our faith, uh, Christ is. And it's, it's through him that God set a perfect plan for man's redemption and man's salvation. Now, this particular message deals with the concern that the writer has about people staying in an infant stage. I, I, I think all of us, when you're growing up, when you're, when you're, when you're little and small, uh, it's a common desire for us to, to grow up, uh, especially if some of you that had older siblings or bigger siblings or bigger cousins. And, you know, you see some of the things that they can do because they're bigger that you can't do when you're smaller. Uh, and, and for a while, it's even things, you know, that when you get older, you don't want to do. Like, it's, it was kind of cool to see uh, one of my older cousins be able to uh, take out the trash. And, you know, when I wanted to do it, and no, 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 you're too small, uh, let him do it. Of course, when you get older, you just <laughs> kind of let the trash, uh, let somebody else get it. But, but when you're young, you see things like that, and you just want to do things that big people do. 
and they seem to have an influence over you. And some little subtly, they become kind of like little heroes. You know, they can only be two or three years older than you, but they just they just seem you know like they're they're cooler and and uh, you see the things they wear and the things that they that they do. I had uh, I had, still have well, actually one of the cousins is still alive, and I was we were visiting them and uh, they were in. I believe Fort Huachuca at the time. And uh, they were just four years older than me. One, the youngest one was only four years older than me, but they had bunk beds in their room. And, um, you know, I, when, when I would um, get, get, get uh, in the bunk bed, you know, I would have to go around and they would either lift me up or I would have to climb up the little side ladder. Um, but they could just, you know, hop up and pull up on their bunk bed and they could just hop down. And I thought that was a coolest thing. And I, I said, you know, I, I, I just want to go off the top bunk like that. And they said, no, no, you, you, you're too small. I said, no, no, no. I just want to go off the top bunk. So one of my cousins, the most devious one, he says, so, so you want to fly? I said, yeah, I just want to fly off the top bunk like you guys do. So they put a bunch of pillows on the floor so that when they did toss me flying, that at least I would hit a safe landing. Would you know the only spot there wasn't a pillow is where my head landed. And it was no carpet. I mean, my head landed right on the only spot that there was no pillow. But just the idea, I wanted to be like the, the big kids. A pastor, uh, a friend of mine, he told me about his, you know how you go to these um, amusement parks, which was another thing that used to get you, you know, because you had to be so high. And of course, you know, you thought if they could go on, why can't I go on? But then you go and you can't measure up. And he told me about his son. I think his son's name was Max. He said his son went to the deal and couldn't uh, measure up to it, but he wasn't that far off. It was at Knoxbury Farm he, and it was a motorcycle ride. So he said his little boy ran into the restroom and got a, took his shoes off, took a bunch of paper towels and stuck them in the bottom of his shoe, managed to put his shoe back on and go back out there and he had barely made it by a few uh, centimeters just because he wanted to be bigger. And um, we know though, it's, there can be some, there can be some some uh, not so good thoughts if, if people um, don't grow, even when people get into adulthood, when you see them still doing things that, you know, younger people do, or sometimes even things, you know, we would look at and say it's, it's, it's childish. Uh, when we see people's growth arrested, uh, it, 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 it causes some concern, whether it be physical growth or whether it be uh, some manner of mental growth or uh, even social growth, uh, we, we, we have a tendency to just have real sympathy for them or kind of wonder what, what took place. But you know, what's harder to measure is spiritual growth. It's a little bit harder to measure. And none of us should ever leave spiritual growth to our own determination. It, it shouldn't be us that says how much I've grown. Now we can say it, but we shouldn't really be the true measures of it. Uh, because, you know, we'll have a tendency to measure ourselves on a curve. We're not, you know, we're not going to look at it straight A, B, C, D, uh, F. Uh, n- nobody's going to say I'm an F. Uh, and nobody's going to be so prideful to say, well, I'm an A. I'm grown to an A. Matter of fact, I'm an A plus 
Got all kind of stickers across my paper. I'm growing that much. Keep up, y'all. I mean, nobody ain't going to say that. So we'll, we'll find a way. We want to stay a little bit better than a C because in high school, you can barely play sports now if you got a C. So we'll go somewhere like a B minus, maybe a B plus. Don't feel so arrogant, so egotistical. But we're not good measures of ourselves. There has to be a measure in which growth, spiritual growth is sized up. The Bible says a lot about uh, spiritual growth, and I won't go into all the, all the verses, but we know this for a fact, that we come into the family of God by being born again. But that's not the end product. That's not the stopping point. Our spiritual growth is dependent on nourishment and taking in God's word, looking to advance our knowledge in the word of God and the things of the spirit cultivating and shaping a relationship with the Holy Spirit, exercising spiritual gifts, functioning in the community, advancing steadily toward spiritual maturity. But even spiritual growth can be stunted. Even spiritual growth. If, if we don't eat the right stuff, if we don't take in the right amount of the word, if we don't allow the, uh, the Spirit of God to work with our attitudes and our mindsets, if we don't let the, the, the Holy Spirit and the word sure us up in our, in our faith, we can just wallow in spiritual infancy. We can just stay right there and, and never get past it. And, and to some degree, kind of get complacent there. That's the problem here in Hebrews 5. They've gotten complacent. They've, they've, they've come to a place that where they are spiritually, they really believe is enough. I, I, I titled this sermon, and I'll tell you why later. I titled this sermon, Even a Criminal Can Do It. Even a criminal can do it. Because God has called all of us to grow beyond what we may think is the measurement. Now, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share this with you. you you're probably going to have to buckle up your seatbelt because I'm, I'm going to come hit you. I'm going to get all in your Kool-Aid. I'm going to overcook your grits. I'm coming right after you. Because this is, this is what I know. Truth for us should be a, a constant and a consistent in our relationship with the body of Christ. We should be people of truth. I was so blessed when Ricardo shared with me yesterday that the pastor from uh, up north that was leading uh, the men in uh, HBH, uh, he asked the men certain questions and asked them to be honest. And, and Ricardo says, our men was just as honest as they always are. Because it's something that we try to model. Transparency and honesty, we believe is right. We believe it's real. And we try to model that. And I think all of us know that there's times when we have to receive honest confrontation. Where, where you know, a, a loving brother and a, and a loving sister will, will call out some stuff in our life. Maybe a sin, maybe, maybe a flaw. It's, it's not always comfortable. But trust me, it's always profitable and it's always beneficial. You know, one of the things that, that really is a concise statement of our faith is the Apostles' Creed. And one of the things that the Apostles' Creed says is that we believe in the communion of the saints. And, and when you think about statement, what does it, live, what does it mean for us to live in, com in communion instead of pseudo-communion? or pseudo-community, where it's not all the way real. And I, I know it's kind of counterculture nowadays to call people, call people out uh, on things. And there's ways you do that, and I'm not going to go into all that, and I'm certainly talking about stuff that's sin and stuff that will help people in their life. But relationally, that should be part of the things that we do. 
The scripture tells us in Ephesians 4.15 that we should speak the truth in love. Oftentimes we choose to keep the peace instead of informing people of what the Bible says. And this is good for your life. And this is better for your life. Uh, One writer, he said that oftentimes that people would submerge the true thoughts that they have about somebody in relationship, in community, to preserve harmony. And by doing that, they undermine the integrity of the relationship. If we want to just keep peace on the surface, underneath we got some real conflict going on, on whether the surface is really healthy. And can I really ask those questions? Can I really say those things that are really true? And we settle for a cheap peace. And it leaves us with relationships that's not totally authentic. The church ought to be a place of vulnerability. It ought to be a place where love will demand us to to put away our personal egos and let the truth of who we are be in a safe place where people can speak to our lives. And and believe me, that's that's painful. But that's that's part of the process. If we want true relationship, if we want authenticity, I'm telling you, it brings about some remarkable results. On the other side of that, as demonstrated in these scriptures, the principle of loving confrontation, it does happen with us in the seats, those that we sit in rows with, those that we do life with. But it's absolutely, um, uh, what would be the word? I'm struggling. It's, it's absolutely right for us who proclaim the word of God to make sure you hear and know what the word of God says. That's, that's our responsibility. That, that's our job. Every, every pastor ought to want the body of believers to grow and to progress in their faith and to advance in the kingdom of God. And I know pastorally, there's times you need to be challenged. Listen, there's days you need to walk out of here a little upset with me. There's days you need to walk out of here and say, you know, he just didn't quite make me laugh like I wanted to laugh. I hope there's some days you got to get in your car and you got to think about what was said. And maybe in the conversations with your family, husband and wives or with, or with children, what do you think pastor meant about this? And how do we as a family, how do we take those scriptures and apply them to our life? Or what changes and, and adjustments should we make based on what the word is saying? Am I, am I, y'all all right? You're almost at the deep end. You're doing really good. Just stay snorkeled up. You're doing, you're doing good. The word summons us as believers to evaluate our lives to see if we're pursuing holiness. Are we being consistent with what the word of God preaches? Are we hearing God's word and letting it apply to our life? And so the writer here, he decides to go into this discourse. I'm gonna have to talk more about this next week because he talks about some heavy stuff that leads up to verse number 10 about Melchizedek and about uh, the great high priest being Jesus Christ. And while he's writing this, he realizes that, you know, I'm writing to a group of folks that really haven't grown from the infant stage. And I'm getting ready to take them into some deep waters, which he does pick back up in chapter 7. But he kind of pauses for a minute to make a statement and say, you know, wait a minute. I don't think I can do what I want to do and say what I want to say because he says this, you've become a little bit dull of hearing. 
you become dull of hearing. He says you become a little bit slow to learn. Not slow like that's just the mechanics of you that you're slow to learn, but you become a little bit sluggish, uh, just a little bit lethargic. Uh, Actually, our, our translation here says that they become a little bit lazy. They become spiritually lazy. They've gotten to a point where they they feel fine about their faith, feel fine about who Jesus is. They feel fine about the things that they know, and we'll talk about that next week. But they're not going any further. They're not progressing. And he's letting them know, you've hit a place that you've stunted your own growth. There's a passage in Jeremiah, and I'll read it out of the message. It says this, I've got something to say. This is the Lord talking. Is anybody listening? I have a warning to post. You see, God created Facebook. I've got a warning to post. Will anyone notice? It's hopeless, he says. Their ears are stuffed with wax, deaf as a post, blind as a bat. It's hopeless. They've tuned out God. They don't want to hear from me. That, that's the warning that he's giving. That's what the, what the writer in Hebrews 5 is saying, that, that he, he wants to take them further, but they've come to this place where they've just kind of got sluggish. I certainly know for me, when I first gave my life to the Lord when I was nine years old, you would not find me from that time on to my early teens. You wouldn't find me without a Bible. I read the Bible night and day. Anytime anybody preached, my Bible was open and I was taking notes. The word of God to me, even at that age, was alive. And I wanted to know God. I wanted to know what God had to say. I want to know what God was speaking to my life. And, and I'm telling you, many of you have had that same experience. When you first came to Christ, you couldn't hear enough. You couldn't read enough. You couldn't learn, learn enough. You had so much hunger to hear what God's word had to say. But somewhere down the line, sometimes that newness dies off and we can become lazy in our pursuit of knowing God. He says that they've become dull, but he also says that you're, fail, you're, you're failing to graduate because every one of us should be people that teach others. We should be disciple makers. When Jesus said to go out into the world and make disciples of every creature, he wasn't just telling the disciples to go out and make disciples. He was telling the disciples who are being made to be disciples to also be disciple makers. He said it this way. He said, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all all over again. He says, not only have you just become lazy and just stopped growing, but, but you want to just keep hearing the ABCs over and over and over. It's, 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 it's like the one that just that goes to preschool at four years old, but you're eight years old and you, and you still want to stay in preschool. And he says, but, but the truth of it is that every one of us ought to become teachers. That ought to be one of our pursuits is to, is to learn also how we can teach and train others. Something that the writer is kind of saying without saying it, that if you don't use it, that you might lose it. And he's kind of implying that they might have lost it. So he goes on to say this, that they've kind of got stuck in the babe stage. It's a tough word for him to say because he's, he's basically calling adults that they're infants, that they're still nursing, that they're still in diapers. And you, you get the graphic illustration I shared with the, with the, the fellas yesterday, uh, which I found that was also on the movie. I didn't uh, realize this, but you can get the illustration. Somebody five and six years old, you walk into a room and he's still breastfeeding. Something is wrong with that picture. 
Uh, and, and, and that's kind of what the, the, the writer is saying, that, that we as grown-ups that have heard the word should continue to grow and continue to seek him. That we might be people who are teaching others. Here's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. This is Paul. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Aren't you living like the people of the world? That's kind of the bingo right there. He's basically saying what's happened to this is the fact that maybe lifestyle things have come in and have taken you away from the things of God. And so that's caused some of this stunted growth and maybe some of this laziness. It's not that you're not moving. It's not that you're not pursuing things, but maybe that you're pursuing things in the wrong direction. And so he gives the cure uh, of spiritual immaturity. He gives the cure. And, And he says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, listen, I can tell you this, and any of you that work out, train, or, or even go on a good diet, your body will get to the place where the only thing it wants to eat is good food. If you're working out, if you're eating a, a good diet, if you put anything in you, you, you can, yeah, I, there's those moments when you just want to go do the cheat at In-N-Out, and believe me, In-N-Out is good. It'll be good in your mouth, but when it hits your stomach, your body says, why did you do that to me? right? Because your body will tell you, you don't, you, you've, you've trained yourself now for your body to receive the things that are good. He's saying the same thing spiritually. If you continue to train yourself and discipline yourself, he actually uses the word gumnazo, which is the same word we get meaning gymnasium. If you train yourself and discipline yourself, you come to the place where you're able to discern what's right and what's wrong. And the only thing that you would want is that that's right and you reject those things that are wrong. Am I talking to the right, to the right church? It's a universal fact that a nursing baby has little or no capacity to distinguish good and evil and maybe as a child grows a little bit, there's an increased capacity, but only the mature, only people that are mature know righteousness, know what's right and wrong and discern that. And, and life, all of us know life, it'll, it'll perpetually throw problems at us. And we got to make a distinction on what's good and what's evil. Our spiritual perception, it's going to get taxed every day. But when a righteous life is feeding on the word of God, your senses are sharpened. The spirit of God is working. The word of God gets, it cries out. And, and, and those sluggish ears are unstopped. And you know the things that are right. The writer will go into this and I'll deal with it later on in the week that there, you know, there's uh, next week, there, there's just no debate about things. We, we shouldn't have to constantly talk to you about what's sin. I mean, we, we know what the commands of God are. That's absolutely clear. We shouldn't have to deal over and over again with sexuality. We know sex outside of marriage is wrong and we know what biblical marriage is. We shouldn't have to deal over and over again with morality and racism and the care of the poor and the care of the immigrants. That's all in the word of God. And as we take those things in, we know how to help people to, to keep from falling into pitfalls and to going into the wrong direction and, and stunting their growth and become people who really get it 
and who really want to do the life that God has for us. Now, I'm going to wrap this up, and I'm going to give you uh, just, just a few things here really quick. And, it, and it's real simple. The first thing is just make a decision to move forward. Just make a decision to move forward. Listen, you, you, you can't and should not ever want to stay where you are. None of us should. It doesn't matter where we are. It's not good just to stay where we are. Can I tell you this? There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's no retirement. There's no retirement in Bible reading. Well, I've read through the Bible now 50 times. I read it every year, 55, 55 times. I've read it through. I don't need, no, 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 no. There is never, there's never a place when you say, I've been to church so many times in my life, I don't need to go anymore. I've listened to that fellow up there hollering at us for 45 minutes for the last 12 years. I'm done with that. No, you never, I'm sorry, you're stuck with me. You never get out of, you never get, you ne- you, you, we never get to the place to where we just stay where we are. There really is no static Christian. Either you're moving forward or you're falling back. Either you're climbing or you're falling. Either you're winning or you're losing. There's just no status quo and all is well. That's really just a delusion. You got to move. You can't stay where you are. You got to want to move. The word of God helps us do that. There's just a quick story. It doesn't quite um, give the whole illustration, but you will get the point of what's happening here. And it's in 2 Kings chapter 7. We won't turn there, but it's 2 Kings chapter 7. It's a time when the um, uh, Aramean army was coming in to attack the Samaritans. And the word of the Lord from Elijah had already told them what was going to take place and uh, that they were, they were in some trouble, but God was going to rescue them. And we pick up the story after Elijah had made this prophecy in 2 Kings chapter 7. But then there was uh, four lepers who was outside of the city. Now, you know they're outside of the city because they couldn't necessarily go in um, without making all kinds of declarations about being lepers. But they're sitting there and they're talking. And they're saying, listen, we're in a bad condition. We're just sitting here. He says, if, if we just sit here, we're going to die. If we go into the city, there's a famine. We're going to die. So he says, you know, the best thing for us to do is to move forward. Now, moving forward will take us to the army of the Arameans. I hope I'm saying that right. The Arameans. But we got a better chance of moving forward. They may just take us in. If we sit here, we die. If we go into the city, we die. But let's not just sit here. Let's not go back. Let's just move forward and take our chances. So they get up and they go out toward the camp of the Arameans. What they didn't know was that God was sending some angels to make some racket around the Aramean camp. It's, it's hundreds of thousands of them out there. God sends angels that they go around and they make all kinds of noise in the camp that the Arameans believe that the, that the Samaritan army and the armies of Judah was coming after them. So they just quickly abandon their tents. They leave everything in their tents. They get in their horses and they hightail it. Hundreds of thousands of them leave their camp. And so the four lepers get to the Aramean camp and there's nobody there. I mean, tents all over the place and nobody there. So they walk in one tent, food. Next tent, food. Next tent, food. Next tent, food. I mean, food, food, food all over the place. They sit down for a while and they start eating the food. And then they realize, you know what? 
We've, we've moved forward and we've gained some stuff, but we shouldn't do this alone. There's folks in that other city who are dying of famine. So they run back to the other city and tell them, listen, I know we lepers and y'all don't want to hear from us, but I got good news. There's all kind of food over there. And the whole city goes out and get the food. Why? Because the four lepers made a decision. We got to move forward. We got to move forward. We can't stay here. We got to move forward. Not only was it a blessing for them, but it was a blessing for the whole city. Can you say amen? amen. So we become fully acquainted with teaching about righteousness and we live it out. God has given us gifts in the body. Here it is in verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people and to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith. The knowledge of God's son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. We hear the word of God. We learn the word of God. And we look for opportunities to teach others. That's the, the last point. You know, Jesus said it in Matthew 28, 19. But, but here's the verse and here's the issue. You know as well as I do, we live in a cruel, evil world. We see people, we face people, we live with people on a daily basis that we know are still trapped by the things of the enemy and trapped by the things of the world. And life is not going to get any better for them. It doesn't matter how many retirement plans we put in their place, how we set them up with good jobs and good careers and all of that kind of stuff. You know as well as I do, all that comes to a dead end without Christ. They need Jesus. And here's, here's the cry that we have. God wanted his people throughout the world to know the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ living in you, Christ living in us, giving you, giving us the hope of glory. Here it is. We spread the message about Christ as we instruct and teach everyone with all wisdom there is. We want to present everyone as mature Christian people. Team, you can come. I want to close this out by telling you why I called this message, even a criminal can do it. Um, you know, one of my, the commercials that l get me to laughing every time is the Geico commercial with the caveman. I, I, and you know, they brought back some of those Geico commercials. Um, the one in the airport. And uh, you know, he's moving along on the S and you know the I, yeah, he's moving along. And uh, he's, you know, he's got his thing. He, he's looking like everyone else in the airport. No different than everybody else. He's got his itinerary. He got his ticket. He knows where he's going. He's got his bag. And he goes by and sees that sign that says, you know, Geico, even a caveman can do it. And, you know, it's out of the screen. He's out of the screen. Then he comes back and he looks at it. And he's, you know, he's just all upset because he's thinking, you know, and all the commercials, you know, with the guy codes is about bachelors, urban bachelors who've kind of arrived. They've made it. And, and, but but the, all, the, all the ads and the commercials and all the signs seem to think, even though they've accomplished all this, you know, anybody can be as dumb as a Geico dude, I'm a caveman, and still figure out the Geico deal. In other words, to them, there's no accomplishment. You're still a caveman. Now, now, now I call this... Even a criminal can do it because I, I, I got to tell you, sometimes I, I sit around with other pastors and, uh, 
And, and I love to hear them talk. And this happens quite often. And they'll talk about going to Wheaton and, you know, what they've learned. And they'll talk about some of the professors that I've read, D.A. Carson and, and uh, different ones of that nature. They'll talk about them. Uh, they'll talk about their seminary life at Gordon-Conwell and they'll go around the table and ask their favorite stories about some of those. And, and then, you know, just like when every, every group, it comes around to me. Well, well, Tyrone, so tell me about your seminary. Let, let me tell you, I graduated. I'll tell you my favorite story from graduation. I was at Yuma High School. I was a senior. And I was actually going to flunk out of English my senior year. And I made a deal with Miss Trapp that if she, you, I, you remember that story. I made a deal with Miss Trapp that she would give me that D so I don't have to go back and repeat some classes in high school. But I graduated as a criminal. And, and I hear all y'all saying about what y'all doing. And I hear about all these great stories and, and, and what you're doing in your church. But I'm here to tell you, even a criminal can do it. Even a criminal can do it. Even a criminal that loves the Lord and hears his word and let the spirit of God work in his life and loves people and loves his city and want to see people do life with Jesus. Even a criminal can do it. You don't have to be no brilliant person. You don't have to have no great career. You don't have to have no seminary. Even a criminal can do the work that God has called us to do. Even a criminal can do it. Even a criminal.